Hey everyone, and thanks for joining. This is your host, Andreas, and so great to have you here. We are in the new year now, both the calendar of 2023, as well as the Chinese New Year of Rabbit. So all the best for this new beginning. My guest today is Panaikorn Chartikafanich, the co-founder and managing partner of Lakeshore Capital. Lakeshore is a private equity firm focusing on investing mainly in Thailand, although it also looks opportunistically at investments in greater Mekong countries, such as Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos. I get to know Panaikorn and Lakeshore when I led investment of International Finance Corporation, or IFC, in Lakeshore's first private equity fund back in 2013. Now, for those who don't know, let's talk a little bit about what a private equity fund or a PE fund is. A PE fund is basically an investment fund which has a finite life, usually around 7 to 10 years, and has a specific investment strategy, be it in terms of target sectors, target countries, or target companies. For example, a PE fund may have a strategy of investing in mature companies in UK or it may aim to invest in renewable energy startup projects, also known as greenfield projects across Europe. The PE firm or the PE fund manager like Lakeshore will then raise capital from various investors and will then use the money from these investors to invest and grow the companies or the projects within that divine investment strategy. The investors can be high net worth individuals or financial institutions, such as pension funds, or Development Financial Institution, DFI, such as IFC or British International Investment, or BII. Or the investor can also be other types of corporation. Obviously, at one point, the PE firm will need to divest these investments, will need to exit from these investments, and send the capital as well as the capital gains back to the investors. The capital gains of these investments will be shared between the investors and the PE firm. All the investing, growing, and divesting will be done by the fund manager within the span of the PE fund's life. In other words, if, say, a PE fund has a 10-year life, then the PE firm will have 10 years to look for good companies, invest in those companies, grow them, and then eventually exit or divest from these companies. You may actually already be familiar with the names of some big PE firms. These include names like Blackstone, KKR, Bay Capital, and General Atlantic. These large PE firms manage multiple PE funds that invest across various sectors around the world. With that context, let's now hear my conversation with Panaikorn. Just a side note, he's also an Imperial College alumni. Hi, Panaikorn. Thanks a lot for joining us into this Green Minds podcast. Really appreciate your time. Everyone, again, I'm talking with Panaikorn, the co-founder and managing partner of Lakeshore Capital, a Thai-focused private equity fund. Panaikorn, let's start with what Lakeshore Capital is. Talk to us about the brief history of the firm, the investment strategy, and the funds that you have raised so far. Hi, Andreas. Thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure. So 
Lakeshore Capital, we are a Thailand-focused private equity fund, which has been investing since 2014. It was co-founded by a couple of Thai guys, which with background in management consulting and banking. We both worked at LEK Consulting, a British-based consulting firm with a regional headquarter in Bangkok, serving clients across Southeast Asia. The idea was to set up a consulting-driven investment model similar to Bain Capital, where we would use our consulting experience to help add value to, to drive growth at portfolio companies. Private equity in Thailand at the time was an underpenetrated industry with very few funds covering the market. I think it's worth recapping here that country has the second biggest economy in Southeast Asia with a sizable population of around 70 million and that's compared to 250 million of Indonesia and 90 million of Vietnam. We also have stable macroeconomic fundamentals with low public debt, high foreign currency reserves. The private sector has a low leverage trend and the banking sector is also well equitized. Our public market has the biggest market cap in the region. It also has the highest liquidity on also. But fundraising wasn't easy. Thailand was not a priority market in the eyes of most international investors. It doesn't get the same level of attention as Indonesia and Vietnam when one looks purely at the macro, nor is it a frontier enough market that would attract the attention of your typical DFIs. At the time, there was a good number of regional PE funds operating out of Singapore and Hong Kong with Thailand being one of a lower priority market that they cover. And then you have only one or two funds which were predominantly focusing on Thailand. But we saw a gap in the market, and I think it's all down to having a differentiated investment strategy that fits the need of the market at the time. And it's all about forming a team with the right skill set to execute that. There's no one-size-fits-all strategy for the region. In terms of strategy, we, we are sector agnostic. We can take both majority position as well as minority positions because we have a very localized team. Unlike the other regional funds at the time who required control because they don't have a team on the ground. We also, we follow the main theme that is common in many other emerging markets globally which is the growth of the mass middle plan. With that comes the story of consumption, urbanization, healthcare, and education, etc. The key difference is the ability to add value to our portfolio companies. We do a lot of business strategy development, organizational redesign, introduction of new management and expertise, whatever they're required, and system improvements. And over the years, we have demonstrated a reasonable track record of exits through both trade sale and IPOs. Very interesting. Can you give us an overview of your current portfolio companies? Yeah, sure. So, so far we have made 13 direct investments plus another six or seven add-on acquisitions. Uh, we had invested a minority position in one of the fastest growing food retail brands in Thailand, which we helped double the number of outlets from just over 60 to around 120 within a few years. The brand had operations across the country with almost 50% of the revenue generated from outside of Bangkok. 
and employed thousands of staff nationwide. At Exit, we found a new home for the business by conducting a trade sale to a large local conglomerate. We had also took on a minority position in the largest HR payroll outsourcing service provider in Southeast Asia. It was a spin-off from PwC by one of its partners 10 years prior. We helped develop a growth strategy around the commercialization of its software and assisted with the formation of JVs in Singapore, in Malaysia, and eventually led the company through an IPO on the SET. That's a stock exchange of Thailand. Furthermore, we took a majority ownership in a leading health supplement business, which is now being prepared for listing later this year. We have also developed an expertise in family business transformation and are now assisting one of the top op optical retail chains in Thailand and another fast-growing protein-based snacks producer through a transformation. We expect to list both of these companies in the near future. Aside from that, we, we have holdings in exciting beauty, cosmetic and pharmaceutical brands, just to name a few. In summary, we have exited almost half of Fun One's portfolio already. And in, in terms of deployment, we are at about halfway point for Fund Two. Okay. So you, right now you have two funds, correct? How big are those two funds and what vintage are those, Panacorn? Yep. Our first fund was 60, just over 60 million in size, vintage 2014. Our second fund, we raised about 160 million, which we achieved a final close about a year and a half ago. Okay. So you mentioned that you are agnostic in terms of the sectors, in terms of minority or majority ownership in these in companies, right? Can you talk a little bit about the decision making or of, you know, whether you want to go as a minority or majority investors, and even though you are sectors agnostic, I would imagine that there are some of the more attractive sectors for Lakeshore. So talk to us about your approach in terms of minority majority and about how you decide on the sectors. Right. So when we approach a company, we are all quite open-minded and we're, uh, would be happy to take on a minor minority position. But sometimes we get asked to take control because the owner would like to exit. And we can also do that as long as if we can perhaps find a replacement management to, to take over the business. So it really depends on what the original owners are looking for and our ability to, to provide a solution. We're not so fixed on control because we're a localized fund. We work very closely to our portfolio companies and we can take that kind of risk. Okay. And in terms of sector? We, we, similar to, you know, your other emerging market funds, as I said, we pursue the growth of the mass middle class. So with that, there's going to be a story of consumption, urbanization, healthcare, and education. What makes Thailand different from your other Southeast Asian countries is that we are, as an economy, we're quite mature, which means that we are going to see a bit of aging society related opportunities and maturing economy opportunities, including productivity increase or technology adoption. Okay. And then also, if I remember it correctly, because, you know, I mentioned earlier in this podcast that I led the investment of International Finance Corporation, IFC in Lakeshore back in 2013. 
that manufacturing is a big sector also for Thailand. I think Thailand produces some of the AC or some of the automotive component also, right? Is manufacturing also a sector that you have been looking at or focusing on? Yes, we, we have, we always look across multiple sectors at, a th- at the same time. However, it's not that often you're able to find a match manufacturing based business, which would be able to deliver the required returns that we're looking for, unless it has a very strong sales and marketing component to it. Okay. So got it. purely marketing, it's purely manufacturing. It's, it's, it's possible, but not that often we come across one that is attractive enough. Okay. That makes sense. You mentioned about the family business, right? About helping transforming the family business, which I find interesting. I think these family-owned companies are very common in emerging markets in Southeast Asia, right? In Indonesia, also we have so many family-owned, family-controlled business, same with Thailand and the Philippines also. So typically, what were the motivations of these family-owned companies to actually invite external investor, a private equity investor, like Lakeshore Capital to their companies, Panaikorn? Sure. I think we just have to take a few steps back. Realization in Thailand happened in the 70s, and that's when the generation of first generation of entrepreneurs first started the businesses. Today, those owners are in their 70s or 80s, and most of the time they have passed on their responsibility and control to the second generation who are now in their 40s and 50s. And these guys, mostly very well educated, some have educated abroad. So they are very aware of the idea of having a private equity partner getting involved or invested in the business. And they are slightly less attached than the first generation to. That's why it makes it a lot easier to spend time educating, convincing owners to explore the possibility of working with us compared to 10 or 20 years ago. Okay, so there is this element of, I guess, generation change in these family companies, right? And I think they see values of the players like yourself in their companies. What are the dynamics? I'm just curious, what are the dynamics, the difference between investing in this family business or in the, you know, non-family business? Do you see any difference or is actually the same in terms of the interaction, in terms of the values that you can add in these companies? So for family businesses, our approach is to professionalize the management team. And that means uh, setting a goal for the organization, agree on a goal, uh, identify competency gaps within the firm, and then discuss on what sort of resource that we should bring in from outside, what sort of expertise and capabilities. And that's, that's, that's the area where we make the most impact for their businesses. For non-family businesses, let's say we call it a new class of entrepreneurs who perhaps used to work for multinational companies left to set up their own businesses 10 or 20 years ago. There won't be so much discussion on, on transformation, but they're always going to be looking for additional expertise and capabilities to come in from outside. And so there's a lot of similarities, although the starting point is different between the family businesses and entrepreneur-owned businesses. Okay, that makes sense. Can you talk also a little bit about your fund's investors in terms of the profile? Who are your investors both in fund one and fund two? 
Sure. The LP composition consists of almost entirely institutional investors, including banks, global, regional banks, local banks, DFIs, fund of funds, insurance companies, endowments, investment companies, and a handful of family offices. I think that's what makes us stand out from other funds locally. Okay. So you mentioned that, you know, back then in 2013, when you first raised your fund, it was Thailand, as you mentioned, was not the focus of many of the funds investors or the limited partners, right? But obviously last year, you in your second fund, you managed to raise significantly bigger fund size. What changed between, you know, 2013 and the last two years when you raised your second fund in terms of the investors' appetite to Thailand? Right. Good question. It's not very easy to see from our perspective, but I would like to think that, you know, we have paved a way for a new generation of fund managers to enter the market. The large regional funds like TPG and CVC are still actively investing into the country back then and now, but because the average ticket size is relatively large, these investments do not happen very often. And then you have firms like Lombard, another Thailand-focused fund with a very good name, which has been around for two decades. They're active, but predominantly pursue a more capital market-focused strategy, such as pre-IPOs and pipes, which puts them in quite a different space to where Lakeshaw is. But it, you know, but the fact remains that private equity in Thailand is still largely underpenetrated. It is probably due to a combination of factors, including the excess liquidity in the market. Banks are always aggressively lending. The public market, very efficient. The talent pool for private equity is very small. And there is just not enough interest in private equity investments coming from local institutions, investors to help grow the industry. As for us, we are probably the most active investors in the market. We have doubled in size. Our pipeline continues to be strong. Our DPI ratio has reached a reasonable level and we have reinvested back in our people over the years. Interesting. Okay, now let's move to the ESG topic, environmental, social, and governance. For those who just joined, again, I'm talking with Pan Icorn, the co-founder and managing partner of Lakeshore Capital, a Thai-focused private equity fund. So ESG and environmental social governance, obviously, it's always a big thing, right? It's always a focus with Lakeshore Capital. I think because one of the reasons was because the DFI, Development Financial Institution like IFC, was one of the first investors in the fund. Can you talk about Lakeshore Capital's approach in terms of ESG implementation in your fund and in your portfolio companies? Sure. Much of our basic value adds is in the form of institutionalization of organization and best management practices at our portfolio companies. This is generally an area of weakness for the Thai SMEs across the board. Beyond that, we also help develop growth strategies, drive roll-up acquisitions, and support the international expansion efforts. Our in-depth ESG DD prior to investing yields a detailed action plan which we then assist the companies to execute. Beyond housekeeping items, such as implementing standard policies and procedures, we help them adjust their governance structure, HR practices, waste management processes, and supplier selection, for example. 
We regularly track all the ESG indicators across our funds. For example, we see a healthy trend of female to male ratio at various levels from management to the boardroom. We see a healthy level of tax revenue generated from across our portfolio companies. And these companies pay wage at least at market level and often at a premium to, to market. So quite a lot of things are, are being done in our portfolio. One thing that I noticed in terms of the ESG in some countries, for instance, in Indonesia, is that I think it's been an, there is an increasing interest of these Indonesian companies and other companies in terms of ESG. I remember back then, seven, eight years ago, it was not that easy to talk about the ESG topic with many of the companies, but right now it's much easier. I think it becomes more uh, of accepted conversation. So I'm wondering how things are in Thailand. Do you see any attitude change, if any, by Thai companies in terms of the ESG implementation? Yes, I think compared to 10 years ago, Thai companies, even in the mid-cap space, are increasingly aware of ESG as a topic and are willing to engage with Lakeshore on this. Although for most businesses, ESG considerations still rank well second to growth and profitability, there is an increasing understanding that ESG is not only a burden, but also an opportunity. This sort of companies that we have been investing in has never resisted the idea of implementing ESG framework that we have introduced. One catalyst worth mentioning is the ESG requirements set by the SEC, the SET for companies listing on the stock exchange. Companies must submit sustainability reports and the EST organizes, the SET organizes training and capacity building activities to promote corporate sustainability management. These initiatives undoubtedly contribute significantly towards the elevating awareness and focus on ESG at companies aspiring to be listed at least. So, but how about the companies that I imagine some of them are not planning to do IPO, right? Have they also embraced more of the ESG or if they do not do IPO, they are less interested in this ESG? I would say that without a change agent or an introduction by an investor like us, today it's probably in generally not the right time to expect these SMEs to be proactively developing their ESG capability. But having said that, they have never resisted our idea of implementing one once we're an investor. Okay, that's very interesting because as we know that the ESG implementation also means that there is additional cost for these companies, right? So what do you think made them open actually of, of incurring additional costs of ESG implementation? Is it because they want the investors like yourself or is it because they also see the values, a combination? So what do you think? I think it's really hard to argue against the benefits of having an ESG framework applied to your company. The cost is not that significant. I would say we all consider it as a risk management tools. Once they understand the benefit, then most companies are willing to, to adopt it. Okay. Okay. How about in terms of your funds, investors, your limited partners, your LP, do you also see any attitude change by your investors, especially the non-DFIs, right? Looking to invest in Thailand. Because I also heard from some of the companies in Indonesia and other countries also, they say, hey, 
Now, many of the investors, especially outside Indonesia, when they approach us, they also want to talk about the ESG. So I'm curious whether you have seen any change also in terms of the attitude of your funds investors on this ESG. So ESG was introduced to us by IFC, the subsidiary of the World Bank Group. You're all very well aware about 10 years ago. And IFC was one of our first LPs. We do see an increasing interest from other DFIs on Thailand and of these ESG aspects, including ADB and other European DFIs and the impact focus fund of funds. And we do hope that more and more will be willing to, to increase their exposure into Thailand. But beyond that, frankly, I don't see a wider adoption of ESG targets coming from other mainstream LPs, but I could be wrong and this can change very quickly. Nevertheless, Thailand is probably still behind more developed markets in this respect, but I do hope that ESG will become increasingly more prevalent in the coming years because Lakeshore is very well ready for that. Okay. Now let's talk about climate change. As you know, this Green Minds podcast is a student-run podcast of the climate change management and finance program at the Imperial College Business School, your alma mater. So I'm curious about this climate change. Is climate change currently an issue that Thai companies are looking at? Frankly speaking, I don't think Thai companies, especially the SMEs, have been at the forefront of the climate change-related action. And this, despite Thailand being ranked among the top 10 countries most vulnerable to climate risk. Having said that, we see more and more companies here looking to capitalize on the global trends of resource savings, e.g. recycling, environmentally friendly energy generation, solar panels, sustainable agriculture and packaging, etc. Obviously, as input costs adjust to reflect the net social and environmental costs of these inputs, I think all the local companies will eventually need to change their business models and strategies accordingly. So it's, it's happening slowly. Okay. Because I believe that solar panel manufacturing is a significant in Thailand, yeah? Yeah, you know, at the policy level, Thailand is taking steps to tackle climate change. Most of the emphasis we have seen so far has been on the energy savings through energy improvements and greater adoption of renewables that you have mentioned. Also in the agri sector, Thailand has partnered up with FAO and the UNDP to develop climate change in the agri and land use sectors. But I think these are longer term initiatives, which will take time to implement. Most of our portfolio companies operate in sectors that are not significant climate change contributors. However, many companies are looking for ways to reduce cost while making a positive contribution for the environment. For example, by implementing electricity saving policies. That's an example worth highlighting. One of our recent investments, Dextra Group, which predominantly manufactures specialty construction accessories made of steel. Despite what it seems, their products being developed are helping to reduce overall steel consumption in concrete structures without sacrificing performance. The steel themselves are increasingly sourced from mills which relatively, which are relatively new in production facilities and technologies in order to be sensitive to the overall carbon footprint throughout the supply chain. But more specifically, Dextra's products allow engineers to save material on the rebars in their designs. And even in some cases, promoting FRP, the fiber reinforcement polymers to replace steel, 
which helps save resources and overall energy consumption related to the structure. I mean, these kind of investment opportunities will come up more and more going forward. Another one of Lakeshore's portfolio companies is Puri, which manufactures high-end fragrance, bath and body care, and skincare products under the brand Puri. Sustainability and all natural ingredients have been rooted in business ethos from its founding, and their market is also growing in this region. You know, other than that, we are looking out for eco-friendly businesses, such as, such as organic, sustainable food production, recyclable packaging solutions, although the local market is still in its infancy in Thailand. Okay. So from the regulatory perspective, talk to us about the, does the Thai government also incentivize the company to act or to, or to respond on climate change? For instance, just to compare in Indonesia, the central bank about, I think two or three years ago started to talk about they can provide some incentive for the property developers if their houses are built according to the green building standard that they can reduce, for instance, the tax for the buyers to incentivize these buyers to buy the green buildings from the property developer. I mean, it has not been fully implemented, but I think it's an interesting incentive, right? Which I think shows some of the government's initiatives, market initiatives, and also some regulatory framework trying to address this climate change. Do you see the similar thing in Thailand also? What we see through the Office of the Board of Investment, the Thai government has instituted tax and non-tax incentives for certain environmentally friendly investments with focus on renewable energy and environmentally friendly chemical projects, including new machinery that reduces GHG emissions or petrochemical production facilities that use carbon capture utilization and storage technologies, for example. Between 2015 and 2021, the BOI granted incentives to almost 3,000 projects with a total investment value of close to 700 billion baht, or equivalent of 20 billion pounds. The government is also setting out major reforms for the introduction of Climate Change Act and the founding of the Department of Climate Change, which I believe is still ongoing, to oversee work across different sectors and functions. These are just some examples. Oh, okay. That's very interesting. I think it shows increasing seriousness from the Thai government to actually look at this climate change issue. Yeah. I'm wondering whether you have seen significant impact in terms of the climate change to the country. I think there is a big push in Thailand on zero emission vehicles, transport efficiencies and renewable energy supply. Uh, we have seen investment opportunities relating to this space, including EV vehicle manufacturing, battery production, fleet management software, logistics, solar farms, solar panel fabricators, and installation, for example. But we have not found the right investment in this space to invest yet. It's probably due to a combination of factors, including size of differentiations, lack of clarity, lack of proprietary technology, and ultimately the expected returns. We're not big in this space yet as a, as a fund, but we will continue to study these opportunities as they come. Okay. Now let's switch back again to the business, because I think in addition to Thailand, you also look at opportunities in other countries surrounding it, right? Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos. Is that the case? And if yes, have you invested or have you seen any attractive opportunities for Lakeshore in those countries? 
Yeah, you're right. We technically can invest beyond Thailand into CLMV, but we have been quite busy in Thailand itself and we have not spent any re investment to develop a resource internationally yet. But as a natural progression, I think we should be spending more time looking beyond the boundary and spend thinking about opportunities in, in Vietnam and, and beyond. And that is something which perhaps we can do in the near future. Okay. That makes sense. Now, I also want to talk about the career aspect in private equity firm. I think it's fair to say that many of the students of the CCMF, Climate Change Management and Finance, is very interested in the world of investment. So let me start with this question. What, what has been the highlights of this career in, in private equity? Just to give our listeners the context, you have some other career before that. You were in consultant, you were in investment banking, and then now in you, you are in the private equity business. What are some of the highlights? What do you find the, some of the most rewarding things in this career, Panikorn? So I am an entrepreneur as well and fundraising with no background in fundraising before is something which I find quite painful, but satisfying to be able to raise capital from foreign institutions and reinvest them into the Thai SMEs to help create an impact and help entrepreneurs and business owners to grow the company and finally list on the stock exchange. It's, it's something which is very fulfilling. For me. When you say very fulfilling, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Probably some examples. Yeah, because yeah, we're able to, let's say for the first investment company called Humanica, we helped to grow its market value and, you know, the owner, the management, the whole staff, the whole team were very happy with the success and we were happy to be a part of that growth. Okay. In terms of the business development, because earlier in this conversation, you mentioned that, you know, there is an excess liquidity. The banks, my understanding, are very liquid. There is a well-functioning capital market. So in terms of business development, which means, you know, the way you develop your pipeline of potential investment, how challenging has it been given that it seems to be a competitive market? So none of the deals that we have done, I don't think other deals that actually came to us. It's about us going out there to educate and explore with a top-down strategy on where needed is required the most. And we were able to identify high growth industries, sub-industries and categories, and then pick a few leading players to, to back. So I think. It's important to understand that the SMEs in Thailand are not purely looking for, they're looking for a, a partner who's able to help them grow. So when we have a conversation with these owners, capital or money comes later on. It's all about where they're planning to go, what sort of need they're looking for. And, and that's how we position ourselves to become a partner in their business. So okay. it's, there's no easy way to do it. You just have to spend time understanding what each individual company's needs are and then try to provide a solution in the form of investment. Got it. Now, going back a little bit on the career question, right? For those who are interested in joining a private equity firm after school or probably later on starting their own PE firm or venture capital, what do you think are the key skills that people need to be aware of or need to build on 
to enter into these three panels. So I do expect that one should develop a broad set of capabilities. It's not purely about finance. It's about strategy. It's about operations. And a lot of it has to do with marketing as well. So best thing to do is develop a broad skill set and very committed, very committed to your vision. And I think that's the best way to describe the how to, to enter the market. Okay, great. You are also an alumni of Imperial College, right? I think I believe you did mechanical engineering, was it? Civil engineering, civil and environmental engineering. Oh, okay, okay. So how was your experience okay. at Imperial Icon? It was tough. <laughs> it was fun. It, I don't remember much about what I learned in class, but at least the skills that I have developed over the years, I would say it's something that I picked up from, from university and obviously a lot of friends along the way too. Oh, okay. So can you talk a little bit more about that alumni network? Have you found it to be in general useful? Yes. In Thailand, there's a lot of engineers who graduated from Imperial College over the years. At the when I was there, there were around 70 or 80 Thais at any point in time. I'm sure there's a lot more nowadays because of the pro proliferation of international schools in Thailand and people were able to go to U UK universities straight after high school here. So things has changed. And I think we have a very big network of alumni here in Thailand. But throughout my private equity career, yeah, I also came across a few Imperial alums. Even at, even at Lakeshore today, there's about three people who went to Imperial. Oh, okay. One last question. So what's next for Lakeshore Capital in the near term or in the next, let's say, three to five years, Panikorn? Sure. So the focus today, our priority is to make sure that we exit well from fund one, and we'll continue to focus on investing for fund two. And we are thinking ahead about fund three already, although it's not a concrete decision as to when we plan to come to market yet. Again, performing returns to our investors is a priority. Fundraising is, is secondary for now. Okay, great. And that concludes our conversation. Panacorn, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening, and I hope you learned some new insights from this conversation. I personally think that private equity investment is a very interesting career path. It is not easy, but when done right, it can be very rewarding to see the impact of the investments that you do. Alright then, until next time, and as always, let us know your ideas or thoughts for our next podcast episode.